Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing. Most of all, thank you for leaving us reviews on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. As always, find us on Twitter. I'm at Jay Beardmore. This podcast at the Rugby Dungeon. And of course, if you're involved with those two, you're going to want to be involved with the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast. At Rugby Podcast, get involved immediately. Today's episode. Today's episode is filmed on location. It sounds like an episode of Cheers, this. Um, at Glasgow Warriors. Now... I went up to Glasgow, spent the, spent the whole day there, had a look around, met a few of the squad. Really impressive organisation. And the guy who's quite important this year is going to be Kenny Murray because Kenny is one of the coaches. He's one of the few coaches to be retained by Glasgow because everyone else has gone to Scotland. And then in their place, all the Scottish assistant coaches have kind of come into Glasgow. So Kenny is kind of the consistency guy between that move. At the moment, as you're well aware, they are awaiting the arrival of a rather uh, interesting gentleman, Dave Rennie, who is clearly their star signing for this season. And in the meantime, they're all kind of getting on with stuff and preparing for what I think is going to be a very interesting season for the Warriors. So I'm not going to talk any further. This is my interview with Kenny Murray. Hope you enjoy it. So, I'm here in Scottsdale, if that's how you say it, overlooking the magnificent 3G pitch, and I'm joined by Kenny Murray. How are you, Kenny? Yeah, good. Nice to see you. So, what have you been up to this morning? Um, so, to, we're obviously back in pre-season. Um, we're in Monday to Friday at the moment. So, Wednesday is a, a lighter day, more of a recovery day. So, we had a... Um, well, actually, the first time we did this morning, we had a meeting with uh, Dave Rennie over Skype. Mm. A big transition year this year with Dave still being involved with the Chiefs and, and obviously before he comes here. So, I've been having regular Skype meetings with Dave, sometimes just with the coaches um, in terms of planning. But this morning, with all the Scotland boys returning, we had a, a full Skype meeting with Dave. So, that was the first thing we did. And then we had a skill development half hour, which we do every Wednesday, sort of static skills. Um, and then we had a um, boys did some pool recovery, and then we had a um, a learning session. So we do a certain education morning on a Wednesday, and that involves you know just different things. Today it was the attack principles for next year. Um, last week we looked at some of our defence, um, and then we'll, we'll probably look at the new laws this week or next week as well. So got a lot to get through in pre-season. Well, I want to get into all the stuff about the transition and Dave Rennie coming in, but before I do. Um, I, I think it's going to say you don't have 
the normal sort of CV for a top flight coach. Yeah. So could you just run me through how you find yourself here? Yeah, obviously, um, I suppose I might be different from a lot of guys in the sense that I've never played professional rugby, never really played at the highest level at all rugby. Um, played rugby all my life since I was a sort of 12 year old through school and then through adult rugby. Um, when I finished school, I left. I went to university and studied sport. Mm-hmm. Um, got involved in sort of coaching pathway type thing there. Um, and then when I finished university, got my degree in sport. I then became a rugby development officer. Mm-hmm. So I did that job for about 12 years um, before becoming the regional development manager for rugby. So overseeing the, de- the development officers. Um, my career then took me to be a senior sports development officer in Glasgow. So overseeing different sports, rugby, football, netball, um, etc. Um, so big budgets, lots of staff, that sort of thing. Um, through all of that, I was coaching um, an amateur setup. So I coached it in my own club, Carfer Queen's Park, initially. And then I had five years at Air Rugby Club. Mm. So with both those clubs, we had a lot of success. Um, with Air, we won the championship twice, we won the Scottish Cup three times, we got to the quarter final of the British and Irish Cup. So um, during that, at the end of those five years, the opportunity came up within Glasgow Warriors to get a full-time coaching position. So um, I was interviewed by Gregor and, and Nathan um, and, and I got that job. So yeah, it's an unusual one, I suppose, in terms of the modern day. Um, I've been interested to see over the recent years coming how many more non-professional rugby players coming into pro rugby. Do you think coaching is getting to such a stage now that it's becoming a profession in its own right and not something which just ex-pros fall into? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's the, that's the thing. I mean, coaching as a profession, I think people forget that. Yeah. Um, the professionalisation of coaching has been happening for a whole number of years now across a lot of sports. Um, and I think you can see the investment that goes into coaching across different sports now. Scottish Rugby have invested into it through you know, even guys like myself, um, Mike Blair coming in now and he's got a dual role with us in Scotland so there's a real focus on governing bodies across different sports to push coaches uh, and, and develop them um, but I think one thing I would say is we, we've got guys in our environment at the moment who are playing, guys like Pete Horn for example who are also involved in coaching mm. so Pete sees coaching as a potential opportunity for him as he, as he finishes playing it may or may not be a route that goes down but he, at the moment he's helping coach one of the premiership clubs and he's also going through his coaching qualifications so I think that's one thing Scottish Rugby are, are, are working well they're, they're getting a good blend of developing the coaches in the amateur game but also supporting those pros that are, are wanting to be involved in coaching Do you find players that are going through their coaching badges understand more what you're trying to get out of them because they've been through the qualifications, and, qualifications themselves? Yeah, I think um, I think the big thing is the guys who do the coaching qualifications have a, a very good understanding of the game. So all our pro players who are involved in here, when they go and do their UKCC coaching qualifications, the actual technical knowledge side of it and tactical knowledge they're, they're really good at. Um, where where they look to improve or where the coaching qualifications can help them is the whole sort of how to coach. So you might have the technical knowledge and tactical knowledge, but how to how to coach that is where these guys uh, are, are doing their learning. Some are good at it, some maybe need a bit more development, and I think that's the, the difference between guys who are just coming into coaching from playing and guys maybe like myself who have come through doing degrees in coaching or sport and then doing a long sort of 
job in terms of coach development and, and doing my own, it's almost like an apprenticeship if you like, doing amateur rugby, being involved in coaching for 12 years and then moving on to professional coaching. Now, we spoke about the club game earlier, can you just tell me, how does the club game dovetail into a professional setup like this in Scotland? Yeah, so we, <clears throat> we've got um, a premiership of 10 clubs in our country, so within that premiership it's obviously the best amateur players in the country are effectively playing in those 10 clubs. We've also got a lot of our academy boys mm-hmm. that are involved playing in those 10 clubs as well. And then also we have a draft system. So the, the And I've, I've heard about this and I'm fascinated to find out more. I'll talk, I'll talk you through it. So in terms of how it dovetails in, the 10 clubs sit underneath the pro team, if you like. Mm-hmm. They've, got, they've got their league and the premiership. Um, the players involved in that, as I said, are the good, good amateur players, some of the academy players. And also the draft system provides players to play for those 10 clubs as well. So the way the draft works is we, for this year coming, we have um, Edinburgh and Glasgow Warriors, two professional clubs. Each of those teams will have five teams drafted to them on a geographical basis. So we'll have tied teams, Glasgow Hawks, Ayr, Curry, etc. Um, on the middle of August, each of the head coaches of those clubs will get in a room um, with the, the Warriors and Edinburgh, depending on what their draft is, and then they'll pick all the players in the Glasgow Warriors squad. So the the team who's bottom of the five in terms of the you know who finished placing last year, mm-hmm. they'll get the first pick, and then the team who finished top in the, that five group. So for example, Air won the league last year, so they'll get last pick in that group of five, and then pick pick, and then they'll go back to the start again until all the Warriors players have been picked, and then that becomes their draft for the season. Now, were you involved in the draft when you were, were, were at Air? Yeah, so I was, when I was at Air, I was involved in the other side of the table where I had to pick my draft players. So, for any budding Scottish rugby coaches listening to this, what is the secret to the draft? Are you looking for the guy with the most talent who you think will play the least? <laughs> yeah, I think um, you need to be quite strategic. The key things for me are you, you need to do your homework before the draft. Mm-hmm. So, you need to know the squad that you're picking from, so you know all the Glasgow Warriors players, you need to have an understanding of um, the pecking order, mm. and that's what, the, what, what Scottish what we've done over the last few years, is tried to almost um, put them into category one, two and three, so category one guys are Stuart Hogg, yeah. so category one, Stuart Hogg, how, how much is he going to play club rugby? Never in a season, unless he was recovering, um, recovering from injury, yeah. but unlikely to see him. Whereas a category three, or maybe your younger pros are just coming through a fringe. So the key thing is knowing who's the category one, two, and three. You also need to be aware and alert to long-term injuries. So who's coming back from injury, and then what that what impact that has. And then the last thing for me, it's about your team um, and what the the sort of preferences for your team are. And one of the ways I looked to air was what position was it that I felt we needed a bit of cover in. Um, if that was prop, then I just tried to pick props in the draft as much as I could. But I didn't yeah. worry about picking off different positions, ah. so I would try and pick the three. I'd try and pick three or four props, so that I had a greater chance of getting a player in that position than I would have if I picked a prop, a, a lock, a nine, a ten, or whatever. So. That was one of the ways I went about it in terms of being strategic and what I picked. Yeah, because hook would make sense because you can't play five hookers in, in Well, that's right. In you the look at many players you got for that position. So if a club generally has four hookers or four nines, you, you may get one of them. So 
Um, I think the key thing about the draft, and I've said this to the clubs that we've worked with over the last few years, is that getting a pro player is not something you should re- rely on. It's not something you should plan your, your season on. Mm. Get the draft allows pro players to play club rugby, but you should see it almost as a, a, an additional benefit to what you've already got at your own club. As soon as you start relying on getting pro players to play for you on a regular basis, then you're in trouble because there's so many variables that determine whether a player will get released or not. Mm. You know, So, for example, if Glasgow Warriors has four hookers and we end up with one hooker injured, we've got two hookers that play regularly, that's one extra guy. How much do we want that extra guy to be playing club rugby we can? So you have to manage and protect players a little bit. Um, so, yeah, the mindset has always been about, you know, don't treat the draft as it's something you're always going to get. Treat it like if you get a player, then it's an added bonus on top of what you've already got at your club with your own players. You must have club coaches calling you all the time to say who, who, um, who you like, who you don't like, who's going to be in the team. Yeah. Well, you get, yeah, the, we've tried to be a wee bit um, strategic with it. We'll meet the clubs before the draft. Yeah. So, for example, I've already sent out the, our list of pro players this year. So I've sent that to the, the clubs. So all of our squad yep. and then what positions they are. So they can already start to look through them. Now, what I won't tell them at the moment is, um, or I won't tell them at all, is who's who's likely to play over who. Because, you know, one, we don't want information to go out. The players, the players, plus also there's new guys in their environment. Who's to say that player A is going to be, you know, getting picked more regular over player B. So... We don't, we don't give them that information. What we have done is categorised it. Right, but you do, yeah, so you do say you yeah. take one, you take two, you take Yeah, and, that, that, that get, and the, the clubs are smart. The coaches in the clubs game are all smart. They know that if Finn Russell and Shoot Hogg are fit, right, there's no point picking them. But um, other guys, have, if there's been a player who's been long-term injured, so so one club may decide this year, if we had obviously Shoot Hogg, who's got his injury close to the lines, he's got a due date, coming back a club might decide to pick Stuart because they may think they might get him for a game at some point in terms of his rehab so um, yeah but yeah, the clubs are quite smart the coaches are smart now flipping that around how often are staff from Glasgow going to watch club games because I imagine that's your main source of players yeah one well, on last week's on last week on last year's um, sort of basis um, myself and Gregor in particular um, we, we would get out pretty much every, every week depending on who we played and the reason for that was Gregor would um, generally go back home at the weekend mm-hmm. so he would watch a game down in, in the borders so if, if a Glasgow team was playing down there so for example if were playing Melrose he would go to that mm. and I would generally catch a game up here um, and Dan McFarland as well would, would get out to some um, Mike as well in Edinburgh there was a game in Edinburgh so because we Greg on Borders Mike in Edinburgh myself in Glasgow and Dan we could always make sure the games were covered so we there, were, there, weren't, there weren't a lot of weekends last year that we didn't have coaches out watching the games but what we also have is that every game played in the Premiership all five games that weekend we will have that downloaded uh, full video downloaded for us on a Monday morning um, and our analysts will um, tag the game so we'll have all the clips for every player all of our pros who played in each of those games so we tried to one of the challenges or not a challenge one of the things we tried to do last year was really make it in terms of the environment that, that players who play club realised mm. that they weren't you know left aside and not getting the same input so we sort of we reviewed the club game on a Monday so in our team meeting on a Monday we'd 
and Gregor would ask a few guys how to right, talk me through the air, Melrose game. So we get guys to talk about it. So we, we, yeah, we, we value the, the, the club game because it's important for us because mm. those guys are not playing out there. They need to be playing rugby and it's important that they're having a good experience in learning and developing from playing in a club game. So, yeah. Have you managed to pull many guys from the clubs, say mid-season, if you've got injured, let's say, at second row? Or do you prefer to go to other, prof- other professional teams? Yeah, we've had, over the last few years, we've had um, quite a few club players have come in. Um, so guys who, we've, when we've been watching the games or we've been hearing that have, have done well, we've invited them in for training. So last year, end of the season, Pete, the last block of the season, Pete McCallum, the, the year number eight, was playing really well. So we invited him in and he trained with his pre-season. Um, Fraser Lyle, two seasons ago, he was playing for Stirling County at centre. Um, he was playing well, so he came in and he got a contract, um, a, two, a, a one-year contract from that, and also ended up playing Scotland Sevens. So yeah, we're, we're we're really aware of what's going on in the club game and making sure that for our guys there that are shining, then we, we, there's an, a, a vehicle for them to bring them in. And obviously, from Scottish rugby's perspective, it's great if Scottish rugby players are, are um, developing and moving up the, the, the sort of pipeline, if you like. Yeah. Um, just moving on, um, I wanted to touch on last season because from an outsider's point of view, it, it feels like you had a lot of success, particularly in. In Europe, mm-hmm. but on the flip side, you didn't make the playoffs in the post-off. So, how have you? How did you guys review the season last, um, yeah. last year? And what your main take- takeaways from it? Do you think it was successful? Yeah, I think it's a it's a good question. It's a good a good point you've made. Like the part of the season we were successful. I thought our European run was obviously the standout success last year. Mm. Um, so we got ourselves into that position of getting into quarter final. I think the other thing about that was the pool that we had, the pool that we got through. You know that was a really challenging pool for yeah. us. So you know, I think beating Racine and I think also the Leicester games. You know that Leicester game away where we get that that huge score down down at, at Welford Road. That that was a big, a real big um, success for us. Um, the Saracens game in the European quarter final, we we didn't do ourselves justice. That was that's our, our review of the game. Um, speaking to some of the guys and they were chatting to some of the Saracens players. They, they were a bit worried about getting us when they found out where they were playing us because they knew the kind of rugby we played, they knew with the same pitch effectively, mm-hmm. so they knew that was going to be a challenge. But we, for whatever reason that day, and we looked at different reasons why it didn't happen, but we didn't perform our, our, our capabilities, which was disappointing. And just circumstances, losing Johnny in that quarter-final in the first five minutes didn't help us. So, yeah, so that, that was something in there. But in the league, we, we didn't, didn't have that consistency we had the years before, particularly during the international windows. Um, I think for me, that was one of the big um, the big differences from the last sort of two seasons where we managed to you know, get, get wins. We didn't, we didn't perform in those windows. Um, we lost some games in there we, we, we anticipated or expected to win um, and I think that's what sort of really put a dent in our season I mean you could argue couldn't you that the dip in form in the international windows is basically you know, you're a victim of your own success there uh, yeah. because obviously you lose so many international players do you think with the European stuff though it's more cases of the team adjusting to being in that new more high pressure environment in the last stages of Europe yeah, I think, well, the one thing from Europe is you, like any team, you will generally play your best um, squad available for you, and that's what we did in Europe. But I, ju- I just think, the, the, you know, as you said, the, the level you're playing at, the teams you're playing, 
you know you have to perform at the absolute best of your ability to even compete with these teams, never mind beat them. And I think that's what we did. Um, and we had that that squad available, but I felt in the other in those in the, those sort of uh, international windows, we didn't quite reach the performance standards that we we'd hoped. And there's various reasons for that. You know, guys injured, unavailable, lack, of, uh, not performing well. There's a variety of things in there, but for me that was probably the the reason why we didn't do as well in the league last year. Mm. Now it's all changed this season. We've got Dave Rooney coming in uh, now. Can you explain to our listeners exactly how the coaching merry-go-round has worked here and well between here and Scotland? Because yeah. it all seems it, well, there's a lot of change. Yeah, there's been a, there's been a, a, a fair bit of change over the, the summer. So last year, um, the coaching team was Gregor as head coach, Dan McFarland forwards coach, and Matt Taylor as defence coach, but also the Scotland defence coach. And I worked with Matt in defence. Mike um, assisted Gregor with attack so Gregor has moved to Scotland as head coach Dan has moved to Scotland as forward coach and Matt will predominantly now be the Scotland defence coach um, Matt will still support Edinburgh and Glasgow a little bit in his national role but predominantly he'll just be Scotland um, so this year uh, Mike Mike will still be involved with Glasgow but do a wee bit with Scotland and skills as well he's got a wee bit of a dual responsibility that, that job this year Dave Rennie's come in as head coach from the Chiefs Jason O'Halloran and Jonathan Humphreys who were Scotland coaches last year have came over to Glasgow they'll be the attack coach and forwards coach respectively I'll be doing defence and Mike will be supporting with the attack so there's a, there's a lot of change there's also a lot of change on uh, in other areas, so and our analyst has gone to Scotland, Gavin Vaughan. So we've got a new analyst, Toby West, and Stuart Yo, who, who was a head of SNC, has also gone to Scotland. So we've got a new um, analyst who was the chief analyst, Phil, who'll, who'll be coming over with Dave Rennie. So a lot of change. Um, it's been a big transition for us this year, um, and that's something we've spoken about with players, but also it's an exciting time as well because we've you know, we've got excellent coaches coming in. We've got a world-renowned head coach coming in, huge crew for Scottish rugby, um, and it'll be really interesting to see, obviously, what his view in the game is. And I think, from the players and my own perspective as well, like to be working underneath Gregor and now Dave Rennie, really excites us because yeah. you know you were getting two guys who are at the top end of the game. So I think it'll really improve the whole environment here. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess for the guys who come from Scotland back here, they must be, be quite excited just to get back into the day, like day-to-day development of players and the actual club scene. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different job, um, coaching Scotland and, and coaching Glasgow. And I think that's um, when speaking to guys like Matt Taylor last year, and he sort of he because he was working between both, he sort of knows that better than anybody. Um, but the guy like Jason and, and, and Jonathan Humphreys Humps now coming back here in the day, like it's much more hands-on. Yeah. Rather than Scotland, you have more time for planning and watching games, reviewing. This is like you know it's five days a week at the moment. It's coaching every day. It's um, it's reviewing. It's previewing. So yeah, it's a bit more full-on than the national team job. What's your favourite part of being be, 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 being a coach? Which aspect of the job do you enjoy most? Um. I think for me it's watching the players play. Um, like we do we do so much work during the week in terms of previewing and reviewing. Um, we do so much work in our training. You know the amount of effort that goes in there. 
And for me, like the most enjoyable part of days when you sit down on a Saturday, Friday, and then you watch the players playing. You, 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 particularly when you're winning, obviously, most coaches will say that. But just watching them play and watching them express themselves and seeing what what you've asked them to do, being put into practice. I think that's the big thing for me. Um, and I think just knowing that they're enjoying what they're doing, I think that's that's been always a big part of our culture the last few years. That enjoy your job, enjoy your role. And McGregor. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I said a lot to the players that we're all privileged, whether you're a player or a coach or a member of the, the management team, we're in privileged jobs, so we enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, it's certainly better than doing management accounting or something. <laughs> I don't know. Accountants <laughs> may, may argue differently. <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't. <laughs> uh, so, uh, before you came in here, you were busy doing doing one-to-ones um, well, about, well, about five minutes before before you joined me. Yeah. Um, what, what is it as a coach that you really look for as a player? And then how do you take that and try and, try and develop that further, yeah. develop that player further? I think key thing we've been doing one on one since we started back pre season. So from the first week of pre season, we've split the squad up across myself, Jason, and, and Humps, and we have got our own group of players that we work with. So the the one to one process has been about getting the players to be leading it. So I think that's a really important part of the one to one process. It's not driven predominantly by the coach. The player needs to lead it. In the initial stages, it was coach led because you know getting them to to open up and chat about things um, we asked them to provide a couple of clips of something they were good at and asked them to provide a couple of clips of areas they, they need to develop so rather than us telling them what they need to be better at or what they're good at we asked they reviewed their game and they came back and told us what that was um, and our job is to then sort of you know go through the process of reviewing training reviewing what they're doing identifying where they're improving where they can still make improvements so that's been the process of the one-to-one. So what happened today is the player, players who came to me, they will come to me with some timings or clips from training, maybe over the last week, mm. to talk about things they felt they've done well, um, but also maybe say, look, um, I want to look at you know, the tracking drill we did. There's a couple in that that I want you to give me some feedback on, and I'll feedback on them. At the same time, I, I will also have things that I've watched in training that I've maybe highlight with them so for example for some of the forwards I spoke to us today we looked at our defence around the ruck because there was a couple of things consistently I felt we needed to be better at so there's a good mixture of coach to player feedback but also what's really important as I said is the, the player leading the process How honest are the players when they come and see you for one-to-ones I mean, is it often you get a player who only brings you positive clips? Um, 
No, I would actually say no, that isn't the case. I think sometimes it's the other way that players will bring things that they they think they need to get better at. Mm. Some, some players are pretty humble that they don't want to talk about what they do well, but whereas we're trying to encourage them to really you know, express themselves and don't be scared to say that, yeah, I'm, I'm good at this. I think there's a... I also think there's a bit of a psyche in Scotland that we don't like talking ourselves up and saying we're good at things. So it's the other way about for me. We want them to be bringing things they're, they're good at as well as not not good at. Um, but for us, we, we know the players and we know what they're doing at training, so we know what, what areas they need to work on and improve, so we can we can help drive it a wee bit with them. How do you manage that transition then from a coach-led process to then player-led? Yeah. I think one, it's about giving them the understanding of what, what we're looking to achieve from the, the, the process, so the one-to-one process. The one-to-one process is about helping the player, helping the player improve, helping the player develop, which ultimately will help the team, so that, that that's important. Um, the next thing for me is about them understanding that they're in charge as well of developing their game, not mm. just relying on... You know, a coach to, to develop their game. So Jonathan Humphreys, Hump's doing the line out. There's a lot of phone in with the hookers, but a big part of their job is to review their own game mm. and then feedback the Humps on you know what what the process of the throw was, what was good, what wasn't. So they need to understand that's part of the the role, and then maybe just giving them a bit of support and, and expertise around how they need to how. And we did that at the start of the season. This is how you review training. This is how you clip some clips. This is how you can slow mo it down and speed it up. So we give them all that information. So the players are pretty good now. They're, they're, they're confident watching games, training, taking clips, bringing clips to us or bringing times to us. And just making them good. I think, that, I think their relationship needs to be a really relaxed relationship as well in the sense that a player needs to be comfortable um, and to be honest with you. Well, they know that you know, they can say to you something in confidence that you know they're not going to get a, a barracking about, or you know they can they can have a conversation rather than something different. Mm. Um, so, if a player identifies says what a weakness in a certain thing, how much of the week do you, do you dedicate to letting them just go off and, and work on that, and work on their own thing, or is it something they've got to do in their own time? Well, what what we've done this year in pre-season, um, we have a coaching program for a week, obviously, which is quite. Um, quite an intense programme from Monday to Friday we've introduced at the start of this season uh, what we call Warrior 30 so that's four afternoons a week There's a war- at the end of the day so if we finish training at three for example there's a Warrior 30 time and within that Warrior 30 time that's a player led um, individual skill development session and it's up to the players what they want to do so uh, some players will do kicking so the kickers may do goal kicking some will do kicking from hand the hookers will do a lot of throwing in in that, pro- that period. Um, some guys um, will, will come and work on defence, tracking or you know tackle technique. What we'll also do now and again is we'll you know we'll say right, you know I'm going to do a defence session, non-contact on tr- on tracking or whatever it is, and then invite guys to come to it. If there's specifics that they've picked up with guys over a week or two that we know they need to work on, then we'll maybe pick them off. But we try and get it so that the coaches are all in the park available for coaching but we'll let the guys sort of determine what they want to do and that's worked pretty well because you've got everybody on the pitch doing their own individual development um, so, it's, so that, that was, that's the way we get them to develop their individual skills Now individual development is undoubtedly very important but as a coach 
how much of your time do you like to dedicate to the actual team shape and attack and things like attacking patterns? Mm-hmm. And in your mind, do you have a, a, you know, a good ratio, say, you know, forty percent on individual and sixty percent on team drills? Or how do you how do you um, how do you break break that up? I think it's tough to put a percentage on. I think um, the key things for me in developing your team attack shape is you need to build it up. So this time of season is a good time to build up your attack shape. So you can do more sort of um, small small number exercises. You can build your attack shape into your game. So we're doing a lot of conditioning games at the moment. But what we can do is we can also condition them to develop an attack shape into them. So although the games are working in conditioning, there's also an element within those games of developing your attack shape within it. So there's not like a, you know, this is attack shape, this is games, this is development. So we'll try and uh, build it up through learning in here. So for example, today Jason's given a presentation on attack shape. When we do, before each session on a Tuesday and a Thursday, we've got a half hour, what we call a half hour skill development window. And that's what we would do, maybe attack shape and defence in there. So we're getting a good window in there. When we get into the games in the afternoon, we've got attack in those games and shape in those games. And then in the unit sessions in the morning, that'll be maybe more line out and then maybe back attack and shape. So right throughout the day, depending on the sessions, there's always attack shape in there. So I would say across, I mean, it's involved in everything we do to a lesser extent than others. It's not like, right, we're going to do 20% of attack shape in the morning this week and then that's it. So there's a lot of it. And skill development is, individual skill development is there every day in those half-hour windows, but also... Uh, and a Wednesday morning we do static skill development as well. So, now without giving away any secrets to anyone that might be listening, um, what is the uh, what is the Glasgow attack shape? Could, can can you describe how you want the boys to play? Yeah, I and mean, I think um, anybody who's watched Glasgow over the last five years um, would, would be able to give you a good overview of our attack shape. So we're we're a real. Um, a, high-paced, high-tempo attack. Mm. Um, really, really big on players expressing themselves. How do you achieve that high-tempo? Key thing for us in, in high-tempo one is, is uh, individual skills. So individual skills comes from the ball carry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked last year about, in terms of getting quick ball, 60% of that is about what the ball carrier does. This is 60-40? Yeah, so 60% is what the ball carrier does. And another sort of 20-20 is what the two sub- first two support players do. So the ball carrier doesn't do his job in terms of winning a collision, ball presentation, and then the support players don't do their job in terms of body height and clearing threats, and that affects the, the speed of ball. So individual skills in terms of ball carrying and evasion, that's that's one. Ball presentation, the ground's one. Roll clarity at ruck. Mm. So these things all build up to giving you speed of ball. Also... Um, a catch pass we, we've had a massive focus over and even this year as well huge focus on catch pass skills so if you watch Glasgow you'll see that forwards are really comfortable getting themselves into positions playing off nine where they can catch it and tip it on or catch it and pass it not just under 10s or 12s but all of our players are comfortable passing under pressure um, we do a lot of work last year on, on what we call our pup drill P-U-P pup mm-hmm. drill which is a passing under pressure drill um, we do that regularly week to week so that players are really confident so in terms of high tempo rugby and, and, and playing playing the game at speed the key thing about that is individual skill development and ability to, to, to do that and then after that it's about um, your shape and your organisation um, and then 
that's how you want to play the game, how you want to play off nine, how you want to play off ten, and it's getting that good mixture of what you want to do. So, yeah, that was that would probably be the key thing for us. And also, the big thing, and that was one thing Gregor was was really big on, was about players, you know, expressing themselves. So, seeing space, taking space, and and, and executing what we're doing. So, um, if I watch Glasgow play tomorrow, how much different would what I was seeing look compared to when you were when you were coaching at Air, and did did you bring a lot of con- continuity from your style of play there to here, or was it just completely different because you were in the yeah. professional ranks? Obviously, my role at Glasgow has been defence, so it's really been focusing on defence, and Gregor's led the attack here as a head coach. So mm. I think from here, like you know, what, what I was pleased with when I came here is that a lot of the stuff because I was a head coach here, a lot of stuff I've been doing at Air. Um, or, or to try and develop it as I was going through the five years was, was sort of prevalent in this environment yeah. and I think that came out of my interview for the job as well when, when Gregor interviewed me or when he was asking me a lot of questions that I could see then by the questions he was asking me how he wanted to play the game so it was really good about you know for me I, at air I tried to play a, a really high tempo offloading game where we kept the, the ball moving we get the ball off the ground quickly and we really asked questions of defence in terms of speed of ball so there was a lot of that here with, with me so it was really pleasing for me to see that um, but uh, as people have talked about before um, Greg is a real strategist when it comes to attack like he knows exactly how he wants the attack to, to, to go and to play um, he's really detailed in that about you know ball carrying about running lines about timing and I think that's what made the Glasgow attack so strong over the recent years as well as they're kicking back to developing individual skill set your players to enable you to do that mm. um, so we'll just run back to the, the, the transition from Gregor over to Dave Rennie um, how difficult has it been if it's difficult at all mm. And how much of last year's Glasgow are we likely to see uh, going forward to this year? Yeah, I think any any transition poses different challenges, whether mm. it's a transition of staff or head coach, whatever it is. So what we're trying to do to minimise that as much as possible is have lots of communication. So mm. right from the start, before pre-season started, uh, Dave came over. So he was over twice for two visits where um, he met the coaches, um, um, had a chat to them and started to talk about planning. Um, towards the end of the season, when we were in the last month of the season, um, Jason and Humps, who'd, who'd Scotland uh, programme had finished by then, because the Six Nations was complete, they both went and spent a week with Dave in South Africa, well, the Chiefs were in South Africa. So they probably spent a week with Dave just to get a feel for how he was coaching and what he was expecting. So they could start to, they would then come back and in pre season to get an idea of what that was and could start to get key messages across. Um, as well as that, since the start of pre season, we've done lots of Skype meetings. So some of them between Dave and the coaches, and then others between Dave and the whole group. So maybe every two weeks we'd have a, a Skype with Dave and the, and the players. And the, the, the big thing about that was about alignment, making sure that the players really understood that the, the coaches were all aligned with each other in terms of what Dave was expecting, what we were delivering, um, and then get just making sure those key messages were given. In terms of, of next year, I think um, Dave's very much similar to Gregor in terms of, I think, you watch the Chiefs play compared to Glasgow, very, very similar attack. Yeah. Real real fast pace, high ten high intensity. 
big big emphasis on ball carrying. So you know, winning game line, winning collisions, keeping the ball moving, speed of ball is really important. You see the Chiefs playing wide channels a lot, so really trying to pick off teams in wide channels. So you know, I would expect this year that there'll be similar similar things in our attack, um, but there'll be differences in our attack as well. And I think defensively, um, we will we'll try and build on what we've done defensively. There's, there's areas yeah, we need to improve. The new laws will we'll put different challenges in as well this year. So yeah, there's, there's going to be things we need to change this year. Just on that, because I do a bit of coaching myself and I've got a very high-level coach in front of me, um, which of the laws do you think are going to impact? Which is the law-changing? Law which of the law changes this year do you think is going to impact the game the most and what yeah. do you think can be done to, done to combat it? I think the interesting one will be the, the scrum again. I think um, the the law where, or the new law sort of, uh, where the referee will no longer tell the night to put the ball in. So I think it's that of an interesting one because nine now basically determines when that ball goes into the scrum and when that scrum's stable, so I think there'll be you know a bit of touring from with that initially. Um, so that could be that could be a one that I think will have a lot of problems at the start. Um, I think also I think it's interesting with number eight's now being able to pick the ball out the the second row's feet. So if you can get a good a good hook, good strike, and then hook the eight can get that up, then suddenly your eight can be up in a way much much quicker. So again, if you attack, that could put interesting ones in. I think defensively, there's, um, the the tackle now is going to, is changing a little bit. So tackler now must get back on side before he can attempt to play the ball. So whereas before you would have a situation where, you know, ta- tackler tackles the ball carry in isolation, all he had to do was get up and he could play the ball pretty much right away. Um, he now has to get on side before he can play the ball. So the whole tackle and jackal. Will change a bit, so I think defensive coaches now, and we've been looking at in pre-season, will start to think about how how do you shape the defensive strategy? Do you still get players tackling and attempting to jackal, or do you tackle and roll out of there and let let another player come and contest the possession? Do you think that's what what will happen? You'll effectively get a guy tackling the attacking player and with the next guy that jackals and yeah, take that, the space. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of a lot of team strategies as well. That you know the the hunt defender, the player on the inside will look to try and pressure the ball um, but the ta- so a lot of teams always have the tackler working to get back up and try to compete um, I think that's going to be minimal now because the referees are going to be hard on you getting back on side um, and not being allowed to stand in that channel either, blocking the attacks of both players come in so uh, that, that was an interesting one um, and also the ruck the ruck, obviously, the sort of definition of the ruck has changed effectively. Yeah. So a ruck now is basically when one player is over the the tackle or over the ball, rather than one player from either side over the ball on the ground. So I think an intri- an example of that is you know my team kick chase uh, or kick the ball to the opposition up there. That one of their guys catches it, but I make a good tackle on him, and then I get my support player. So I'm on the ground, my support player gets in and gets over the ball. That is now a ruck, whereas before that wouldn't have been a ruck because you needed one player from the defence there. So if I go in and go over that ball and form a ruck, the offside line is now there, which means every single player getting back on side for the defence is offside until they get back behind the back foot there. So, so basically, you know, if I kick chase, get a good tackle, get a guy in support quickly, anybody coming back now is offside, so if they interfere with any of the ball or passing be made, they will all be offside. 
yeah. So if you, can get, if you can get a good quick ball from that ruck, you can really pick off defenders, either get a penalty or, which means you need to work really hard now on any kick chase. And you work so kick chase is going to become a, a, lot more, a lot more of an effective weapon? You want a lot more effective weapon and also you need to work much harder to get back behind. So cause sometimes, you know, the, if a tackle was made, even if one guy was over, there was no, there was no an offside, there was no ruck there. So players could just sort of get back a wee bit slower, but now you're... Now you need to get back. So, and also I think the interesting one will be now in that situation with a long kick and there's a tackle made. If it's the next guy to break down, a jack or a defender, a jack or defender, he gets on ball. Um, as soon as anybody else in attack comes there and makes contact, with him, he's got to release it. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering about that because I wasn't sure if it just meant that. The jackal can continue. The jackal can continue to hold, but as soon as now he's, he's touched, he's he's yeah. got to go. So it used to be though, know, if you could jack on getting the ball quickly, and just hold it there, and it, somebody was slow, you would probably win that ball because you were there first. But now, if you get on the ball and jackal, as soon as somebody comes in and makes contact with you from the opposition side, you must release you that ball. From the tackle of you, must be delighted. Well, that's, we were discussing that over the last few days. Like, it does seem to be perfectly prefer, uh, preference for the attack. Um, but I think there's a couple of things in it. Like we speaking to Chris Patterson. Uh, Chris was on the Laws uh, planning group, as was Dave Rennie, mm. interestingly enough. And a lot of it is about you know discipline, and it's also about tidying up the tackle and ruck, and a lot of it's about um, uh, injury prevention. So if you watch the game now, when a jacker gets on ball really well and in a low body position, you're seeing players come in yeah, absolutely hammering them. That's a concern for world rugby. So what, what, they're, what they're trying to get to now to, to really stop things like that is I go in, a jackal, I'm the only guy there other than a tackle and a tackle player. What, what they want me to do is to get in and rather than just holding the ball and trying and short of stone it, and then actually get the ball out of there, pick it out of there. So if you don't pick it out of there immediately... It's to stop the guy holding that yeah. position. So they want you in, try and steal the ball and pick it out and get it to someone in your team. If you get in and hold it and then you get contact and release it, you're not going to win the ball. So if you want to win the ball as a jackal, you've effectively got to get in and get your hands in it and move it right away. Yeah. Or, else you won't, or else you'll need to release it's it. It's a huge advantage to teams with plastic pitches, no. that's for sure. Because you make so few skill errors on plastic pitch compared to normal pitch. Yeah, I don't know. We made a few last year, to be fair. But um, <laughs> the, no, I think it is, and that's. I think for us now, and we'll go do a laws presentation probably this week to players. But for us as coaches, we need to look at right. How do we how do we maximise these laws mm. to get the best advantage for our, our attack and our defence? So. So things like that with the jackal on, you know, you need to do a lot more work now on the jackal defender getting over ball and round, just getting on ball transition, getting it really, really fighting the ball out of there. So, so you think we'll see a lot more turnovers, but a lot, a lot less penalties. Potentially, you know, that, that's what they're trying to do. I suppose we'll rub a wee bit in terms of the discipline side of it. So yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot in there, and even little things like you know that um, when the time's up at the end of the game or half time you can kick to a penalty if you want the game to end you've got to tap it and kick it out uh, so you need to make sure players are all aware of that and particularly under fatigue when players start to get a bit tired and forget about these things you've got to make sure they're really alert to it as well so um, yeah a lot, a lot of work to do in pre-season to make sure they're aware of the laws Excellent Right well you've been more than generous with your time yeah, no um, before you go, just give me a prediction of what you think would be a good season for, for Glasgow Warriors. Yeah, I think um, obviously it's a performance environment uh, this level. So for us, it's again getting into the top four 
playoffs, uh, and then from that, um, trying to you know get into that that final again. But definitely the target will be the top four playoffs again, and I think also we've got a really exciting group in in Europe this year. So you know going to Montpellier will be a, a an interesting one. Um, we've got our old foes Leinster uh, again, so we've always had tough games against them. And then I think obviously Exeter down there, look, we played them pre-season down there a few years ago and really enjoyed that. Um, and they play a really good brand of rugby, so we're excited to be going there. But you know, yeah, getting into knockout stages of Europe again would be a, a, real, a real bonus for us, uh, and, but definitely not top four. Fantastic. Right, well, I'll be watching your progress with very keen interest, so thank I you. Know no, that's fine, no problem at all. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.